I'm so happy uh, to, to welcome Brian. Now, Brian and I were talking about the services, and he said, now, um, Pastor Jeff, I just want to ask, you know, how, how should I dress on the Sunday morning services? And, and I said, well, you, you know, this time of year, you can either wear your white robe or your black robe, either one. It's kind of that in-between time, so we laughed about that. Yeah. I don't know. Do you even know where your robe is? Yeah, I don't yes, think. Yeah, okay, yeah, all right. Well, please warmly welcome Brian Burgess. Love you. Thank you for your blessing. I appreciate it. It would be helpful if I would uh, turn my mic on. So good to see you this morning, and uh, praise God. I, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Ann, just the church as a whole, um, um, our worship leader, thank you so much for giving these students an opportunity. Uh, I had a pastor, amen, can we, we celebrate that? Um, I had a pastor who uh, gave me and my best friend Clayton King an opportunity that nobody else would, would give us. Uh, Wilkes, um, Wilkes Skinner was his name. I thought that was cool because it sounded like Leonard Skinner, and so, but it was spelt different. And uh, he brought me into his home. He let me read the scripture. He taught me how to pronounce the Prizites, the Jebusites, the Mosquito Bites, uh, he, uh, he gave me opportunities to stand and to preach and just mess up some readings of scripture. I, I'll never forget, he had me read out of the Psalms and I was, it was supposed to be the, the bow, but uh, the, you know, he it, talking about a bow and I kept reading it, bow. And, and he never corrected me, not one time in the middle of it all. And afterwards he just pulled me to the side and he said, read ahead, look at your context and just taught me so much. He taught me how to do old school door to door evangelism. I guess that's why I'm so crazy now because uh, you got to have a little bit of crazy in you. And, and uh, yeah, exactly, Pastor Jeff, to be able to confront people with the gospel and to be able to talk to them and be light on your feet. I got to watch him uh, do all kinds of things. Uh, I mean, uh, just as a pastor, walk into homes, walk into scenarios. And I see that same kind of spirit in you, Pastor Jeff. And, and I appreciate that spirit. And that get, being given opportunities where you had room to not totally be on this or not be perfect or not be polished or, or thinking your youthful exuberance that you have just nailed this thing, you know, you're just like, yeah, you know, everybody's like, bless his heart, you know. <laughs> Um, but to have that kind of room to grow has made me, um, I think, the man of God that I am today. And it has given me a, a heart to, uh, to see opportunities like this. And so I just want to say thanks to you as a church for investing in your students, investing in your children. I mean, the lion uh, uh, doodle poodle, whatever that, that, whatever that breed of dog is, is phenomenal. And uh, I, I just... Just being able to do those things to help connect. It's the simple stuff. And, uh, and you, you constantly are, are working to do that. I want to encourage you to buy out this, uh, this silent auction. Just make it be a record year. Sacrifice over and above what you would do in your regular tithe and offering. Push yourself in that. You know, I had the privilege of seeing a generous man years ago uh, when I was a young man by the name of Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy was the owner of Chick-fil-A. He was speaking at the university that I did undergrad at at Gardner-Webb, and I had the privilege of being backstage. And as he began to talk to some of us students, he, uh, he had a way of talking about his wealth without talking about his wealth. He had a way of talking about his wealth in which that you looked at the kingdom of God. He said, uh, my wife and I tithe 90 and live on 10. Now, I'm not preaching about tithing this morning, but I always think about this with generosity. Now, I'm a 19-year-old dude, you know, like by the, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin got into college, okay? And thankfully was blessed in that way. And I'm standing back there going, man, my 90 look like, or my 10 look like your 10. I could probably figure out a way to live on that too. And being a godly man, I think he, I think he perceived some sarcasm. I think he picked up on it. And he said, now let me tell you how we got there. He said, over the years, we've worked hard and God's blessed. We try to honor him in everything we do. And he said, as we've went along, we've been radically blessed. And he said, my wife and I got to a point where we were just like, we have enough. And then we'd get to another level and we go, how much really is enough? And he said, what we thought about was we flipped the script. We kept what he called, and I'd never heard it before, a graduated tithe. 
And he said, we pushed ourselves in faith and in sacrifice to where we could flip it. To where in the 10 that we have, which is still a very blessed 10, we're more than sufficient to live on. And it is necessary now to give it away and to invest it in kingdom purposes. And I have, I've been radically, my wife and I, I, I got to see that in my mother. I've been radically blessed by the gift of tithing. I always tell Beulah, my church, I'm a pastor in Statesville, North Carolina, if you've never heard me speak. I've spent since the 11th grade traveling and preaching as an itinerant evangelist. And, and I always tell my, my church, I said, look, if I'm going to talk about giving, I'm not talking about as a pastor. I'm talking about as a 10-year-old boy who just saw my parents divorce. I had to get a job at a local convenience store. They paid me in cash underneath the table. I got paid $3.05 an hour because three ten was minimum wage. And my first, and any of y'all old enough to remember those days, right? I, my first paycheck, I came in, it was $85 and some change. And I'll never forget my mom setting me down. She said, lay the money out on the table. And I was like, golly, already? You know? And uh, because I, we had to pay bills. And she said, I want to teach you something. She says, and she put her hand on it. She said, it all belongs to the Lord, but he requires a tenth. And she said, I want you to, and we counted out, we just went ahead and counted out eight, $8 and like 50 cents. And she says, now I want to tell you, one of these days they're going to take taxes out of it. And you got to decide whether you want a gross blessing or a net blessing. <laughs> what you talking about, mama? She said, well, the gross is what you make before. And the net's what you get after taxes. So you got to decide which level of blessing you want. She said, I'm a gross girl. God let me have the strength to go to work. And he let me make all of it, even before the government decided what they were going to take. And she said, that's the only way that we, we will be sustained. And that started at 10 years old before I was really even a believer. And I'm 45, be 40, 46 in two weeks. And I can see very traceable paths where he's opened up the windows of heaven and poured out blessings I haven't had enough room to receive or didn't even know I needed. So church, I want to encourage you. Don't let your pastoral staff have to beg you to give. Be a giver in time, talent, and treasure. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, let's pray together. Pray this way. Father in heaven. Show me today how to be resolved for you. Put a fire in my gut and a passion in my heart for you that outweighs circumstances, my feelings, or this culture that I could be influential for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been with us uh, throughout the services, uh, you, you know that I like to tell stories that come from real scenarios. If you haven't, don't, no chagrin, no uh, shame. Uh, we all have schedules we have to keep, and I encourage you to go back. I think you pick up on YouTube or on the website at faithfellowshipweb.com. Did I, did I do that right? Score. It's only taken me 20 years to remember that. <laughs> I'm always texting Paul. Paul, what's the website? I want to watch the sermon. He's like, can't you get this? <laughs> right? So, um... Um, I, I want to encourage you to go back and watch these, but I, I, I am a, a kind of a war history buff. I enjoy it. I, I enjoy it for the sake of, of, of not so much as hearing the gory details of humanity, but more of what it took for real grit for men and women to live in very difficult situations and to face situations where there is a tyrannical evil pressing itself on the civility of individuals. Over the years, I've learned that in a broken world, it doesn't matter for some people how nice you are to them. There is a brokenness inside of them that will not receive your niceness. And in a broken world, there are, because of evil, for some people to live in peace, some people cannot, can just not occupy space and air on this earth. Romans 13 is the proof. God judges by the sword. Now, if Paul could say that about a perverted government like Rome, then you know that Paul's confidence in the sovereignty of God, the, he reigns. You reign above it all, right? He reigns above it all. One of the stories that grips me is uh, some of the stories I shared the other night about pastors who were in Europe during the time that the, 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 the Nazi war machine rolled through. One of the pastors that has, has come to my mind is a pastor by the name of Father. Go forward with me, guys. And let's see this. Father Piotr. Let me see if I can say that. Sosnovsky. Let's all try it together. Father Piotr Sosnovsky. I've 
I've been practicing this for weeks, okay? Still can't get it right. Here's a, here's a young man born in the late 1800s, feels a call of God as he is a, a Polish citizen, he lives in Poland, feels a call of God to become a pastor, goes to seminary, and about, about the time he's, he is uh, finishing seminary, of course, uh, saw World War I as a young man, and then begins as an adult to, to reach out in his public ministry. He sat in a, in a parish, in a place uh, called Byslo, Poland. And as he begins to minister to people, people are attracted to his message. He is influential in that town. But at the same time that he's influential, there is a war machine pressing in on his parish. He saw what was being happened in the face of being bullies. He saw tyranny begin to push people out of their homes and away from their property, not because they had guns or stashes of ammo or they were some kind of weird conspiracy prepper. And if you're a conspiracy prepper, you don't have to be weird, so no ugly emails or texts on that, okay? Not because there was an undercurrent that his entire village was trying to overthrow. These are just people trying to live life, to uh, raise children, go to work. Live, have a good night's meal and a good night's sleep and some type of peace. And as the war machine took over this area of Poland, Father Piotr would not sit down. He was resolved to lead his people. He was resolved to hold church services. He was resolved to remind them that their only fuhrer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He resolved to uh, encourage people to have hope and to share with those who had maybe had everything from their home taken. He was so influential that the the group of uh, German soldiers that were assigned to there knew that whatever they did, the people wouldn't move until Father Piotri said something. He uh, was a true, true pastor to his area. He spoke with dignity. He had influence. They, they believed in his ministry and, and he was a great encouragement to them. And to the point that this special uh, kind of ethnic sweeping group knew that if they were going to really run this area of Poland, they had to get rid of Father Piotr. Now I'm going to show you a picture that is in the Holocaust Museum that is a graphic picture. Uh, go ahead and pull it up. Thanks. <laughs> I want to warn you of this. I don't know who snapped this picture, but this is, in, this is Father Piotri. It's October 27th of 1939 in the Takula Forest, just a little while outside. And it was the Intelligentsian that had set him and about 35 or 40 other people out near a barn. They trumped up a whole thing that, he had, that they had burned down a barn that was owned by Germans to justify... And someone snapped this picture. As you can see, the frozen, there's snow on the ground. The bodies that are of, of individuals who have just been assassinated. And now looking down, a German Mauser is a man who all he had tried to do was stand great for Christ, love his people, and hold his community together in the midst of the worst time of their life. And as I look at him, y'all, this gets me just a little bit, okay? Can I, can I just be real? I'm, a, I, I'm a real. That's a man right there. That's a godly man right there. He's not a devil in a dog collar. I get in trouble in my area for saying that. We, we, have, uh, we have some very ungodly pastors in our area that during the whole beginning of, of COVID took, took uh, they sounded more like the world than they did, uh, than they did the scriptures. And yours truly took task with it. It just happens to be that we have a very influential ministry in our town. And I get a microphone at a classic country radio station every Wednesday morning. And I addressed a few of them as devils in dog collars. Woo! We don't make the devil mad. Talk about his little minions. People were inboxing me, Pastor Jeff. I've never known you to be critical. I've never known you to have a mean spirit. I've never ever bleh, 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 sound like Porky the Pig talking to me. I said, I'm not mean. I don't have a mean spirit. But I'm going to tell you what, if you were in the middle of the street and a Mack truck were about to hit you, I'm going to yell at you. And I'm going to do everything I can as a pastor to get in between you and that truck if I know you're not trying to get in front of that truck. And even if you were, I'm going to try to move you because I believe in hope. Are you with me? 
I, I see a current rolling through America. I'm talking about America, really all over the world, where church members expect your pastor to be a, 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 a well-kept prostitute. Just there for my feel goods. A well-kept uh, animal, a house cat, if you will, a, a house puppy, begging for somebody to let him out occasionally. That's not what the Word of God says we're to be. And I don't want to stand before the Lord when it's my time and he go, hmm, drop the ball on me, son. You feared them rather than you feared me. See, when you fear God, it doesn't make you a bully. It doesn't make you a tyrant. It doesn't, no, it humbles you. <laughs> I won't mess this up. It's like, a, it's like your mama sending you to the grocery store to get two very specific items, milk and bread. Now, you might get other things as you're out there, but the two things you don't mess up is you don't drop the eggs and you don't mash the bread. Am I the only one that's fearful of that to this day? And as a pastor, that's kind of what I feel like God's called me to do. He's given me resources that are gentle and easy to squash. Now, they, they got a hard layer on them. You got to peck on them just a little bit to get the yolk out. Uh, sometimes you got to put them together to really get the meat of what you're looking for. Uh, you don't, uh, how many of y'all are so old school, you don't throw the butt end of the bread away either. You eat it too. Mm, I love y'all. I knew I love this church. But it's a delicate balance to not mash them or drop them. Amen? Here's a guy that, well, by the picture, his mouth looks closed, so that means he ain't begging. Here's a guy that, well, I don't know, y'all tell me, is he kneeling or is he standing? Here's a guy that I can't tell much, we hadn't blown it up, but it looks to me like his eyes are wide open. When I look at Father Piotr, that's God's man. That's the kind of man I want to be. That's the kind of church I want you to be. And I know Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ann want you to be. That you have done all you could not to, not to be a rebel rouser, not to, not to be a political enemy, not to, not to just blatantly put a target on your back, but because of the call of God on your life, you understand there are just consequences for faithfulness. Even if it means looking down the end of whatever assassination device happens to come your way. That with the same confidence of God that you held the eggs and the bread. That you live life by. You would also have that same confidence to say it's going to be just a few moments. And then I'm going to enter into glory. They said, I don't have time to do all these. They said of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran theologian that was a part of the assassination attempts of Hitler. He had just gotten married. He had waited Jeff all his life to get married and had been married just a brief moment before he was found out and was captured. He was kept in jail for some time. In the morning that they hanged him, they took this gentleman who, had, who was a gentle soul, very intelligent, could have stayed in America, but believed that God was calling him back to lead the people of Germany against the tyranny of Hitler. Put himself for the, for the sake of the gospel in harm's way. And the, the guards said that as they watched him, even in dignity, though he was stripped naked, they watched him pray and request time to pray. And then before he stepped on the gallows, watched him pray one more. And one soldier said, I have never seen such power and grace at a moment of dire need. To where he did not resist the rope. But whatever he had asked for gave him strength to embrace it. I'm not so sure we're not far away from getting to that place of kind of living. And it's going to be a refining moment really for the church. Because we know that the end is coming one day. And if I know that, I want to be prepared for it. And I've got to know, and this has been our big idea the entire weekend, has been this, is that how do I live in this world without the world living in me? How do I live, move, and have my being and Christ be above it all? In me, through me, for me, and because I live because of him. 
that I would seek, as Paul said, to brag in nothing but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To where it is no longer just about, well, I'm this certain denomination and I'm that denomination and I go to this church and I had this kind of baptism and I had that kind of baptism. But to where all of us together in the name of Jesus would say, I realize there is no forgiveness of my sin save the cross of Jesus Christ and his sinless life before it and his precious blood shed that I was bought. When there was nothing worthy about me, he put his worth in me. And no matter what it costs me, I will follow him. I was bought with a price. I am not my own. Amen? The story that I think in these next two sessions that I think are helpful for us are stories that you're familiar with if you've been in church any time. Even if you, last time you were in church was a little boy, a little girl in preschool. There are two stories that I want to share on top of what we did in Daniel chapter 1 that are what we know as the fiery furnace the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. Now I want to go ahead and say, please don't let the, if you know, how many of you know these stories? Come on. I know Pastor Jeff has preached through the book of Daniel. I think Pastor Ann has touched on it in, in, in summer camps and winter retreats and also in student ministry. But don't let the familiarity of this passage steal the power of it. There's a lot of text, so I'll story as much as I can, but I'd rather you hear the word of God than me. Because the word of God plants a seed in you. When you read the word of God, it reads you. Because it lasts forever. Daniel has had a dream and has interpreted the dream about Nebuchadnezzar, the king at the time of Babylon. He sees himself, or there's this large statue. And Nebuchadnezzar is the top of it, but the layers represent the kingdoms that are coming. And from there, there is a rock that is hewn out of a mountain. I got goosebumps. I'm going to shave my head tonight. And that, that, uh, that rock is to be seen as Christ. And Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar the danger of thinking he's the end all be all without acknowledging who God is. That there is a God who reigns over it all. Well, Nebuchadnezzar praises Daniel. He gives him great accolade. He puts him over everybody. And the next, sometime later, my man builds a humongous statue of pretty much the same thing that he saw. The only difference is, is instead of the head being gold, he made the whole thing gold. In the Bible, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. He builds this thing. Go forward with me, guys. And notice what the scripture said. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose, feet, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. We're looking pretty much at a 90 by 9 statue. Humongous. Now we know historically that just outside of the main city of Babylon, and forgive me, my mind has just uh, got stuck on an elevator. Outside, uh, 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 archaeologists have uncovered a base that is about 25 square that would have been solid enough to handle this statue. And those of you who are in building know that the higher you go, the what? Deeper you got to go. And there was a, there's still a platform there that would have handled this. Now this guy wakes up out of a warning dream by his most trusted man, a Hebrew boy that will not let himself be stained by Babylon. And daggone if he doesn't build exactly what he saw to make it all about him. Now he set it up in the plain of Dura. In the province of Babylon. So that's just outside. And that's where we pick it up. Now watch verse, the next verses. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent the gathering to the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he has a convocation. He has a, he has a meeting at the, if, if Babylon were to have the White House, he had a meeting at their White House. And what he does, he calls all his important guys in because he's going to give the new legislation about his idol to secure loyalty to him. Watch as the scripture goes forward, verse 6. We'll skip just a little bit. He, he tells them that, look, this thing's going to be set up and we're going to attach music to it. It doesn't have a Bluetooth speaker in it, but we're going to have some... But we're going to have a band that at a certain time is going to begin to play. And when people hear the music, I want them to bow down. 
The closest thing I've ever experienced to this was the first morning that I woke up in, in Sarja, which is right outside of Abu Dhabi in, in, in the United Arab Emirates. I'll never forget Pastor Jeff, my buddy Mark Collins was with us. We were there to train Indians how to win Muslims to Christ. And that morning at about 4.30 in the morning, I heard, it was from the minaret. And it was a call to prayer at the Muslim mosque. I jumped up out of bed like, what is happening? I went, we were on like the 12th floor. I opened up the window and it looked like ants all over Sarja headed to the mosque to pray. That's what Muslims do many times a day. Immediately when I saw that, I went, "Woo, that takes me back. I'm in the same region <laughs> that they would have set this up because it was all about loyalty. So here's the consequence now. He says, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall what? Immediately, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go straight there, right? Can you imagine having a Monopoly board of Babylon <laughs> written out of Daniel? That'd be fun. Ooh, that might be a fundraiser idea. Anyway, here we go. And immediately they will be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the, tr the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, the harp. I imagine they had a dude. Is it James? Was that playing the drums? Charles. Charles. Hey, Charles, Charles. Boom, boom, boom. I meant they had a dude like you, man. Maybe one of your ancestors way back when. I'm glad you're not a Babylonian, though. Okay. Trigon, the harp, the bagpipe. And every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It, it's attached to him. You with me? Now watch as the scripture goes forward. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the fiery furnace. Now this is what's going to happen. The first time this uh, pulls off, there are three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, now known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they are now, as a satrap, they are rulers of different provinces. They are carrying out Babylonian business. Now, they're still Hebrew boys. They're still in love with the, uh, Yahweh Elohim. They still live by the covenants of promise that held them as little as teenage boys and young boys in Babylon, but they are... Um, working the system. They got a job to do. They're doing that job with excellence because somewhere along the line, Daniel has helped them understand that if you do what you do with excellence, even if it is in a foreign country, it'll always point back to the God that you serve. So when they hear this take off, everybody, bam, hits the floor and they just keep standing. I, I can imagine uh, Shadrach uh, on his way to an accountant's office and blah, 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 whatever it was. And everybody's like stopping immediately where they're at. And he's like, oh, excuse me. Uh, good to see you today. Talk to you soon. And he just keeps right on walking. I got a feeling Mishael's in the middle of a conversation. Uh, 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 Meshach's in the middle of a conversation. And all of a sudden it goes off and the guy in front of him hits the floor. And so Mishael goes, look, we're not done yet. Talk to me. He bowed down and he's finishing his business because the music that's in his heart and his mind is so real. That fuzz doesn't move him. You ever listen to music that somebody else is like, have you ever heard this is the best song ever? And you listen to it and you're like, whoo. We're questioning our friendship. Well, word got around. And we talked the other night, when you live that, when you're, when you're so faithful to God that, that people take notice, that 10 times better life is going to attract what? It's going to attract haters and critics and the curious. Well, they got a series of haters. They got a series of Babylonian dudes that just can't figure out how there's three Hebrew boys that got, got a better job promotion than they did. And so they come back to Nebuchadnezzar Appealing to his pride, because what we're really talking about here is, uh, is insubordination. And they said, didn't you say whoever doesn't fall down and worship the image when they hear the music, aren't they going to be thrown into the fiery furnace? Go, back up, guys. Back up just one second. 
And then they said, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Go forward. Now, is there a name missing? You ever wondered why? I often wonder if Daniel at this point maybe had been sent back or he was out on business. I think it's important that we know that he's not mentioned here because now these boys have to stand on their own without Daniel being in front of them. It's pretty important. I, as, a, as, a, as a younger man, I value Pastor Jeff's guidance. There are times we've talked about things, right? Camps, while we were at lunch the other day, because he's ahead of me in, in this calling, in this vocation. He treats me as an equal, which I'm very grateful he and Pastor, uh, Pastor Ann both do, but there are just times I want to defer. I want to hear, right? I want to hear, hey, what'd you do in this situation? You ever been through this? You ever thought about that? Let me tell you what's going on over here. But I can't always do that. At some point, I got to take a step of faith too. Does that make sense? And so do you. Therefore, you got to make sure that your beliefs are turning into a conviction so that when your Daniel is not in front of you, your faithfulness is still predictable. Let me say it one more time. Your beliefs have to become such a conviction, a bedrock principle that they make you resolve, determined not to let this world stain you so that when your Daniel is not in front of you, you're still predictable in your faithfulness. Let's go forward, guys, as we look at this. Now, then Nebuchadnezzar in furious what? Yeah, we're talking about insubordination here. My man is ticked. He is very, very upset. This is his boys. This is, this is the same Nebuchadnezzar that just uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe we're talking 10 years back. Remember Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. There was nobody like them in the land. In other words, it'd be one of those moments where he'd be like, I put a big risk in you. You're going to embarrass me in front of people? He is toe up from the flow up. Some of y'all get that after a while. Okay. <laughs> and he commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be what? Brought. So they brought these men before the kings. You know, the haters are like, hee, 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 hee. I'm going to get their pension. I'm going to get their pension. I'm going to get their district. Their district's the best paying district there is. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true? I love that. You're going to ask a question of truth to three dudes that since they've been in your town have always lived by the truth. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? <laughs> now we're in a God challenge. Is this true? Now notice how they respond. Go forward with me. They talk it over. He's like, we ain't bowing down. But notice what the scripture says in verse 13. He says, or this is 15. He says, now if you are ready, when you hear, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you boys another opportunity here. I, I mean, I, I, I imagine y'all are probably busy. Maybe, maybe uh, Hannah and I, you had your earbuds in. You, you didn't hear it. Right? You imagine what earbuds would have been back in the day, like these big cone things, right? <laughs> he said, now, if you're ready, when you hear all this noise, you hear all this music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. This is that invitation. Look, boys, go along to get along. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And now notice, this is the challenge. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is that moment where if it were a cinematic performance, the, the music would begin. This is the moment where you'd hear Jaws in the middle of a Bible. dun dun Dun, 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 dun. Y'all, that movie messed me up so bad. Sometimes I can't even be in a pool by myself <laughs> and not hear that. 
This is that moment where the music gets so eerie. You know, you might not even be a believer, but you know Nebuchadnezzar's done messed up. Because what he's done is he's drawn a line in the sand on the earth of the God who put the sand there. He reigns above it all. Watch as the scripture goes forward. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, these boys are politicians. These boys are smooth. They didn't say, you idiot. They didn't curse him. They stayed in protocol and they said, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It's kind of those moments like Aaron Neville. If you don't know me by now, you will never, never, never know me. I got no need to answer you in this matter. Because we got somebody that's getting ready to answer it for us. If this be so, read it church, our God whom is able, whom we serve is, oh gosh, say it again. Our God whom we serve is able. They didn't say, oh, uh, you know that God that I learned about when I went to Pastor Ann's uh, prime time. I think he's able. You know, I heard Pastor Brian come in this weekend. He's had some good stuff. I'm going to just defer back to that. Yeah, he, God's got to be able to handle this. My boys are so bedrocking their convictions. They, they let it out back. They say, look, dog, uh, the God whom we serve is able. To deliver us from the burning fiery what? From the direct threat you just put on us. Now that's a powerful, powerful, powerful statement of faith. But I'm going to contend and, and, and offer to you. There's a bigger statement of faith that's about to come. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18. You need to underline this one. But if not... Do you see it? But if not, how many of us have faith and convictions that if God doesn't answer me like I want to, I'll still follow him? That's the real question right here. That's the, that's the million dollar question right here. How many of us have faith and convictions in God that even if he doesn't answer me the way that I have prescripted in my prayer or want to, I still follow him? Think about the prayers we pray. Most of our prayers are this, keep me safe, O oh Lord. We're intoxicated with our safety to the point that it paralyzes us from real obedience. We are fearful of people being at odds with us or being offended by the gospel. The gospel is offensive. To some, it is the stench of death. To others, it is the Rome of life. Paul told us this in the New Testament. I don't go out like a, a, a meanie with the gospel to offend people. It's a confrontation because it's the Holy Spirit confronting you in choosing your way over God's. And it doesn't always set well. Look, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. But there are days that I read God's word. I go, oh, oh, that hurt. I wasn't ready for that. And I don't want that to ever change. Because I want God to have more and more of me. Could you imagine if we started praying, instead of, Lord, keep me safe, make me effective for your kingdom? Could you imagine if we started praying, Lord, instead of, why me, why not me? That's easy to say in here. There's a little heat when we pray it out there. But out there is where we have the real kingdom-centered influence. And this, is, this moment is to remind us of that. He says, but even if not, it, be it known to you. This is not a passive aggressive Facebook comment. I'm about to sing a George Strait song here. Write it down. Take a little note, right? Remind you in case you didn't know, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I can imagine Mishael, whose God is but my God, saying, boss, it's like this. We're going to work hard for you. He's probably a country boy. We're going to work hard for you, boss. 
We're going to do what you want us to do, boss. You ain't going to have to look over our shoulders to see if we're crossing T's and dotting I's. But when I hear that music, my knees just get a little stiff. We're going to start writing plays together. What's the point? What are we talking about here? Notice as the scripture goes forward. This is a lot of story and I got to hurry here. You know the story, but here. Then Nebuchadnezzar filled uh, filled with fury. And the expression on his face was changed against the boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace be heated seven times more hot than it was usually heated. This furnace was going to be the belly of Marduk. It's where they sacrificed all of their, of, 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 of their sacrifices. And what happened? Because the king's order was so urgent. Go forward, guys. It was so urgent. He, uh, he ordered the mighty men to throw them. The, basically, the furnace burns down. And he declares that, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, uh, be cast into the burning fur- furnace. Then the men bound them with cloaks and tunics. In other words, he wrapped them up. They're going to be like Babylonian candles, right? He's wrapping them up so they burn. You can imagine these guys like, uh, 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 you know, they're like mummies at this moment. And they threw them into the fire. They threw them into the fire. Go forward on the guys. And because the king's urge, uh, prayer was so urgent, the, uh, the furnace overheated and the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I always remember this, the scheme, you got to be careful. What you use against others, whose God's favor is on, may be your own trap. Hear that. And the three men were thrown, bound, fell, bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Go for it, guys. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in what? He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fiery furnace? And they answered and said, Oh, true, O king. And he answered, But I see four, read it, church. Four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is seeing from his kaleidoscope of gods. But we know by faith exactly who he's talking about. The king of kings and the lord of lords. The the greatest fire protection you'll ever have. My man is seeing something he didn't even know could exist. He's thrown probably many people into a fiery furnace. He smelt the, the, the burning of flesh and hair and bone and sinew and muscle. He's seen it all, but he'd never seen this. And at this moment, it is the answer to the question, who is a God that will save you? And it's the point for you and I that when we take a step of faith for God, he steps in for you. God honors faith. And he comes near, just for the sake of time, he comes near to the edge of there and he says, boys, come on out. I, I can imagine Michelle. I just love Mr. Michelle. Meshach. I can imagine him putting one. He's like, what now? <laughs> you imagine being in there, them boys fall in there, tumble, right? Look, we just had an ice storm at the house and I've learned at 45 years old, I fell the other morning on some ice. I need to just stop fighting it and just sit down immediately. I will hurt a lot less. What is it the older we get? You, say, uh, you know, you just try to sprawl out, you know, and get all agile. Huh? We, no, just sit down. Sit down quickly. Like we're playing duck, duck, goose, right? <laughs> Here we go. You imagine those boys just tumbling in there and all of a sudden they just start seeing all of everything just burning off of them. And then in the middle of it is the presence of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. They can hear the snap, crackle, and the pop of the fire. They can probably even feel the heat off of it. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if a bed and go is standing there going, ah! And a Meshach just smacks it. Bah! Shut up. <laughs> we don't like that word, but uh, Meshach's country. He, 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 he a redneck, okay? What are you screaming for? Open your eyes. <laughs> you know, he's praising God. And then he gets the call. I can just imagine Meshach like, man, this is, I mean, make up your mind. Throw me in, want me out. Throw me in, want me out. 
they climb up out of this thing, right? He says, come on up here, boys. So they climb up out of the fiery furnace. And what begins to happen, back up just one second, guys. I want you to see this. Back up. Nebuchadnezzar came near. He calls him out. He says, come up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Go forward with me. Go forward with me. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors were gathered together and saw the fire had not, what? Had any power. What did he say? The God whom we serve is able. Had no power over the bodies of these men and their hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And y'all, come on, the smell of fire. No smell of fire had come upon them. You ever burnt popcorn in your house? You can't get that out for a day. I mean, that's real protection. Smoke permeates until the king of kings is so permeating you, there's just no more room. Go forward, guys. Here's basically what happens at this moment. He gathers them all together. Go forward. He gathers them all together and he throws the satraps and the rest of those men that had, had sought the harm of these boys into the fire. And he praised the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and warned them that if anyone, because they had trusted him, they had set, up the, set aside the king's command, but they yielded up their bodies then, rather than serve and worship any God except their what? Their own. Now, let me, let me just close with a few points right here. And I'm way over my time because we got to go to the next one. Go forward with me to the last points, Paul. Go forward. He warns, he makes a decree. Anybody that speaks against these boys, God, you'll have the same thing. In the world in which we live currently and progressing from here because of what the book of Revelation says, you and I have to be aware that there will always be something demanding your surrender and our ultimate allegiance. So church, stop being shocked. Back in the day, it was the, it, it was the Jubal Cain. Then it was the Tower of Babel. Then it was the Philistines. Then it was every world power, whether it be an evil king or a pagan king. It was the Pharaohs. Uh, throughout all of world history, there was something that is always binding. People say, I'd like to live back in this time. I'd like to live back. There's always been something that has been devised by the prince of the power of this era to draw and to talk a believer out of their ultimate allegiance. Stop being shocked. Why do you say that, Brian? Because once you get over the shock value, then you can make a plan. Anytime I'm shocked, it takes me off my game. It causes me to get in my feels. And the shock that wave of it all negotiates whether God really is in control or not. And that is exactly what the enemy wants. And that's where, secondly... Convictions always clarify the situation. The boys stood there before Nebuchadnezzar, not because they had done their jobs bad, but because it was an issue of worship. And because of their convictions, they said, King, we want you to know we're never going to serve your gods. And he says, who's going to save you? He said, the God in whom we serve is what? Able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and from your hands. But even if he doesn't, we ain't bowing down. Convictions always clarify what you need to do in the situation. You having a bad marriage, the conviction to not flirt with the chick in your office will clarify the situation. Can I get an amen? You're struggling financially, you need to have a conviction about God's resources in your house. The gun or the vacation or the little trip over here is not in the equation. Don't waste the emotional energy on it. If you're not in a good place to address somebody that you got an issue with, least said best is the conviction. If you can't speak the truth in a balance of love, then let your conviction handle and clarify the situation. Are you with me? Obedience is always the proving ground. It's always the proving ground of who's really in control of you and who you worship. It's the telltale sign to whether you and I really are faithful or not. 
You know, we always say, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus until you have to prove him for yourself. And then there might be a little fire in the game. And there's no Daniel to stand in front of you. This is your moment before God to be influential because he is more than able. Trials by fire make believers too. When you are obedient and God honors your faith, there are unbelievers who watch and they cannot believe what they see, but they believe you because you are in front of them. And God will use it to shift them. Nothing is wasted with the Lord. But your convictions have to be set so that when the pressure is on you, you just won't bow because of him. And all God's people said. Father, would you meet with us? I thank you as you met with us. Help us to grow. Help us as we go to this next session to be encouraged. Help our workers that are working. But dear Heavenly Father, put a fire in us now to be resolved. If there's a man or woman here who doesn't know you as Lord and personal Savior, I pray God right now they would surrender themselves to you. That if you're pressing them and pushing them, that right now they would say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and save me. For your children here that need this moment, they are in the fire. They are wrestling between believing you are able, but what if you don't answer like, I want. Give them faith to hold on. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.